Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each week across the footy season, we're talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Basil Zemplis, and this week's guest has an intriguing football story which saw him complete pre-seasons with the Saints and the Bombers, get picked up in the rookie draft and play 126 games with Fremantle and this year, 12 games with the Suns before suffering another season-ending leg injury. In this podcast, I discuss with Michael how he finally got his shot at the big league in the AFL, the agony behind that broken leg at the Fremantle Dockers and the incredible story of what he was thinking on the way into that contest and his amazing passion for his new club, how he's a fierce defender of the Gold Coast Suns. We know the characters we've got here. We know the, the fundamentals we've got here stack up and, and I get emotional and pretty stirred up. Probably, I'd probably do get my back up because I'm getting pretty emotional about talking about it now because we've got good people there from Lynch and May to Solomon to Mark Evans who's come in and, and seen, seen what we've got to work with and he said it's not turn it all on its head and start again. We've got so much positivity in that place to be able to, to create something special. Michael's played alongside champions of the game, such as Pavlich and Ablett, and he's experienced all the highs and lows footy can offer, from dominating on debut, a grand final, uncertainty during trade periods, and of course, the injuries. One of which has him sidelined at the moment. That's bad news for Michael, but good news for us, as he's got the time to sit down and discuss his amazing journey as he recovers from another broken leg. We're talking footy. How's the leg, Michael? No, it's going very well, Baz. It's good to see you first and foremost. Um, it's going very well. I've been, I've probably received nothing but good news when, since the, since I heard the, the snap in the leg in the tackle. So initially, yeah, really dramatized and probably overthought the significance of it. And probably within 45 minutes had a scan, x-ray and got the news back that, um, you know, I'd probably save myself from really significant damage. So feeling really good walking around fine now, back on the bike, uh, back around running, hopefully within the next fortnight. So it's not it wasn't as bad as the Fremantle leg, if we want to call them that, yeah, the Fremantle leg the and the Fremantle. Gold Coast leg. Yeah, so and I actually only figured this out today. They were both in, I think, round 13 in my first season for, for both clubs. So um, maybe around 14 the first time around. But, you know, around that time, so I'd got a... a portion of the sample size of the season in and then done myself a mischief. So, uh, yeah, the Fremantle leg was – and that's probably why when I did the the Gold Coast leg, I probably first thought, you know what, like this is going to take – like it took me two years to get better from my mm. first one. Um, so to kind of sit on the cart on the way off at 29 years old with a, another contract for next year, but you think, oh, I've got two two years to waste here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's – we're really confident as a Medico group at, at the Suns and myself that we can get a pretty good run at the preseason. So you're very hopeful about next year and that things could be back to normal pretty much. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm really, yeah, really, really confident that I'll get a good body of work in over the summer and uh, be able to hit the ground in 2018. Um, pardon the pun, but running. Yeah. yeah running, <laughs> running and running well. Uh, yeah. And I think also something that I'm really grateful for is I've, I had the two-year contract when I went to the Suns. So to do this injury, I had a really significant injury this time last year with Freo. I didn't have the contract the next year. And mm. um, as a lot of AFL players know, and anyone kind of in, in workplaces know that when their job's up for up for renewal or things are coming out and you can't kind of fulfil your duty of work, it doesn't help with your mental 
state as, as much. Um, so, you know, I've still had a really active role within the club despite not being able to fulfil my role physically. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But, I mean, I think you're everybody's favourite footballer or one of everybody's favourite football stories, that's for sure. Uh, but before you got to the AFL and you took a roundabout journey, tell us where it all began and where, where the start of your footy journey was, the very start. Yeah. Uh, probably at Vic Kick with my hands down my pants standing on the wing <laughs> uh, with Dad watching me saying the, the foot, you're meant to go and get the football and I was just having... I think it was too cold. My hands were obviously too cold to take out of my pants at the time. So that's where it all started uh, in Shepparton. But, yeah, I suppose for me uh, growing up, and I've told the story a fair bit, but um, football was never probably a realistic option. I always wanted to be an AFL footballer and every, all my mates wanted to be an AFL footballer growing up, but it was never a realistic option. I just wasn't up to it. You, you weren't good enough? No, I was always quite handy at it. Like I was probably, you know, made the interleague squads at junior level and, and that kind of stuff. But... A uh, bit small, um, too slow, couldn't kick, and now I'm just too uh, too slow and can't kick. <laughs> um, but yeah, started started Sheppard United in the GVFL. Played a couple of years there out of out of high school, um, and kind of my second year there, the penny dropped a bit. I got a bit bigger. Um, I've always been good at finding the ball, but had a really big year. Some games were probably up towards the fifty possessions and mm. goals and that, and um, yeah, it was kind of starting to. I was probably at that point just thinking, oh, I'm probably going to be a really good country footballer. Um, Craig Blizzard, mm-hmm. a guy who I really owe a lot to, without me knowing, told a couple of scouts to come come uh, up the highway and watch me at Deacon Reserve there. And um, so Carlton, Colin, uh, Carlton, North Melbourne, St Kilda. Uh, didn't tell me about it until the end of the year when St Kilda rang and said they'd be interested in taking me on for six weeks and do a pre-season and, and see where it goes from there. So... Uh, yeah, from there, it was get there and just enjoy the experience. Um, but as soon as I, I got there, um, trained, surrounded myself with these people and this, this environment, I thought, geez, I can probably, probably do this. Mm. And when, when the rookie draft came around that time and I missed out, I was more devastated than I probably would have ever imagined, like crying and um, just thinking, you know, there's another 12 months till I get another opportunity. But probably eight weeks prior to that, I was thinking – I've got to go third year of uni. Um, how am I going to get my Centrelink payments next year? I've got to mm. figure out what I'm going to work as over the summer. Um, but, yeah, from there, decided to uh, have a, take a crack at uh, the the VFL because that's what St Kilda's feedback was, just go and play at an elevate, more elevated level and, and see how you go. When you're at St Kilda, that six-week period, I mean, obviously they were a very, very big club at the time and uh, they, they had big football ahead of them. They had some big football at the time. Who who sort of were you struck by when you were there training during that six weeks that you rub <laughs> shoulders with, or you're out on the track with, um, in the rooms with? Uh, yeah, Nick Rewalt. Like he, it's, it's bizarre. Like he comes up the first day you're there, and um, having been in the AFL environment now for nine years, you, nothing. You're pretty unflappable sure. with, with meeting people and yeah. all, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. And but yeah, I remember I was just a nervous wreck that first day. I've got a funny story about it. actually. I was sitting. I'd been there for two weeks, so I went and started with the younger players. Um, first third-year players and did two weeks. So I'd, I'd got to know people. But then the big guns come in two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Rewalt comes up and says day and you're like, um, just, yeah, just struggling to comprehend. I remember Brendan Goddard walked in. You have to weigh in before every training session. Uh-huh. He just walked in, dropped all his clothes and jumped on the scales. Well, completely. Yeah, completely uh, as he was, as he was yeah. born. And 
Yeah, like it was it was a very surreal experience, Connor. But it, and also like Nick Del Sano, I remember just looking around thinking these guys, they they've just got they, they just live the dream. <laughs> They're established AFL footballers. Um, you know, the, the lifestyle they live and. Here I am just scrapping it out to try and get an opportunity. Yeah. Now, Ross was the senior coach then. He was, yeah. Which obviously was going to be a bit ironic ironic down yeah. the track. Did he give you direct feedback or was it left to others? He gave me feedback, feedback probably the day before the rookie draft and I, I kind of got the inclination that I wouldn't get the opportunity because he came up and thanked me thanked me for my efforts and, and said, you know, good luck with tomorrow. We'll see how you go. Whereas I, I probably wasn't naive. Uh, wasn't naive not to know that I reckon if they were going to take me, no one else was going to take me, so they probably would have given me the information. But, yeah, he, he just thanked me for the time and, um, yeah, I was, I was really grateful for the opportunity. So uh, probably begrudged St Kilda a little bit from there on because they did say go away and have a good year at VFL level and we'll give you a call in 12 months and and the, the phone fell mute mm. and, yeah, never to have heard from St Kilda again. Yeah, and, and did you ever... Did you ever raise that with Ross when, yeah. ironically, down the it track, ironic, yeah. Ross becomes your senior coach and by this stage you're an established AFL player at yeah. Fremantle. Did you ever raise it with Ross in your first interview or wherever? Uh, our first meeting with Ross since he came over from um, from the Saints, I remember walking through the hallways and I bumped into him and he said, oh, yeah, good to see you, mate. Like, and he, he actually probably elephant in the room. He's like, oh, I just want to, like, I really rate you. Um, I remember in my third or fourth game, I, when we actually, I actually played St Kilda, and I got yeah. tagged. So I, mm. I was by Clinton Jones. So I was thinking, oh, he must think, have some sort of opinion of me because you always think when a new coach comes in, what do they think of me? Sure. So that was he, he said, yeah, I really rate you. Obviously, we've got a bit of history. So he remembered me because I was actually probably thinking, does he even? Because mm. yeah, blokes go and train at AFL clubs at all all the time, and probably the senior coaches don't have a huge amount of. They leave that decision to to list management and that kind of stuff. But I remember he said. He's got that, as you know. He's he's very savvy and he's got a memory like a hawk. Is that if that's the right analogy? He um, he said, uh, "What did he say?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." And no, I remember you came down and trained, and, and you were late on your first day because I was an hour late. But <laughs> I thought I was meant to start at eight o'clock, but apparently that's when you had to be there an hour before. But he remembers that, so you know, mm. I remember oh, how am I going? This is a good start. Like he he remembers back that far that I was late to a session, and uh, yeah, but he was pretty complimentary. Pretty much straight away, which is good. And, and obviously, you'd kicked on since then. Where where was Essendon in yeah. the mix, Michael? Uh, so that was I went away after those two years of disgust at Sheffield United, and had the two years at VFL level. And um, my second year at VFL level, I really probably continued to grow and excel and play in different different positions. Mm. And uh, got I spoke to about ten clubs in that that kind of leading up to that national draft. Uh, one of which was Essendon. Um, and then they were the keenest. I felt they were the keenest, them and Collingwood at the time. And did the national draft came and went. And back then it was, I think, two weeks between national and rookie drafts. So pretty much the, as soon as the national draft, that, so they said, we want to get you in and, and have a look at you and train with you. And Adrian Nadoro, yeah. I remember he sat me down in, the, in his office and it was the day before the rookie draft again. And he said, oh, you'll go somewhere. And he was just scratching his head and he just looked at me with a blank look and he goes, there's something about you that oh, I can't put my finger on. He says... You'll make us look silly if if, you, if we don't pick you. Mm. But he goes, oh, you're just a very unique case. And he's got film of me. He says, I watched your like, isolated vision one day and you just ran around at the same pace. And 
does that stand up in AFL level or your, your ball use? Like, well, they're very honest, mm. which they have to be. But yeah, I remember having that discussion. All I wanted was an opportunity. I remember I, I could nearly have to do everything in my power. I'd just be like, I, I know I can do this. I think I might have said that to him. I know I can do this. And yeah, just give me the opportunity. Um, uh, and I, th- I think they did intend to take me at some point in the, the rookie draft. But um, yeah, I'm stoked that Frio. Picked me up as so, early as I did. So Frio got in first, basically. Yeah, they got H- in. Had you had any conversation with you? Were eighth overall, the twenty ten yeah, rookie right. draft. Uh, it was a. Ner- it was. I was actually half nervous. Funnily enough, Gold Coast had the first five picks right. in that rookie pick yeah. draft. The irony continues. So Scott Clayton sat me down, and again, he was. He said, "I don't know if you." He was very blunt, Scott. He was, again, they're very. Mm. They have to have that uh, demeanor and the way they appraise things and, and and probably not get too attached yeah to exactly the so had they said that they had the first five rookie picks they were going to go into the vfl year and here I, I want an opportunity to be an afl player but at the same time i was ready to go then so i was a bit like yeah i don't want to go to the gold coast um you know as a last resort potentially but so they had the first five rookie picks and they didn't pick me up i, I would have known if that, that was going there so i was kind of fortunate that, that didn't eventuate at the time and that morning, I actually had a manager already, Marty Pask at mm-hmm. I Fifty Management. He he, because uh, I played Werribee with him, so he helped me along the way a bit and pushed me in in the right directions. He rang me and said, "Free, I'm going to take you," um, and I didn't believe it because you know you've been let down too many times mm. to kind of take anything as gospel. I definitely didn't tell my parents what I'd heard, but uh, Mum came around and watched it. And funnily enough, when uh, the pick eight came. Yeah. On, the, on the laptop, was it? In those laptop, days? Yeah. yeah, laptop. Mum didn't know what was going on. It popped up and it was just a – it was such an amazing moment to be able to share that with like mum. Because yeah. as you know, with kids and um, you know, your parents and those close to your family, they ride everything with you yeah. so, and mainly the lows. Like mm. it's – everyone can be there on the coattails when things are going really well. Yeah. But when those lows come mm. and they'd seen enough of it, I remember after the, the national draft – um, that in 2009, mum was beside herself and she just kind of probably saw the disappointment in me. She's like, I don't know if you want to keep doing this. Mm. Like it's, and I'm not the only one to go through it. So mm. many go through it every year. Um, and then so many go through it at the end of each year when delistings and and she just sat there and um, I said, no, I'll be fine. I'll butter up again. We'll see if the rookie drafts. And I was devastated but at the same time, I think mum and dad were because they, you know, you're their little little boy. Of course, and, yeah. Always, so. It probably hurt hurt me more the impact it was having on people around me because my brothers as well, very loyal kind of brothers. They were, especially probably my brother Dom, he's just like, no, nah, it's just the system's cooked. Mm. He just has no idea. He'll go and do something special here but no one's giving him an opportunity. So there was an element of begrudgement towards the system and not getting an opportunity but eventually we got it and, yeah, the rest is as it is. So your name comes up and it says Fremantle, Michael yeah. Barlow, Fremantle, pick Eight in the 2010 rookie top job. Top 10, top 10 draft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did you know about Fremantle? Had you been to Perth? Never been to Perth. No, never been to Western Australia. So I remember, funnily enough, I had uh, I was living with two of my really good mates at the time that I went to boarding school with. And Angus Graham, he was on Richmond's list at yeah. the time. Uh, so I lived with him that year. And Andrew Thompson, another mate. And I remember they rang me. I think Angus rang me. Everyone was just like, congratulations, how good's that? You're going to... Would have been on the old Nokia 3310 yeah, back course, then. Yeah. And Angus rang me and he was the only one to say, oh, he's, he's very, he's, he's a different 
kettle of fish anchors. But he rang me and goes, oh, you're kidding. Like you finally get drafted and you have to go all the way over to Perth to Fremantle. That sucks to be you. <laughs> and I'm, all, I, all I wanted was an opportunity. I would have gone anywhere to, to play. So, yeah, I was stoked. Um, and probably, yeah, not that I had much pulling power. I was going over there as the 46th player on the list pretty mm. much. But going over, I knew, I knew I thought, you know, like this is probably a good, good fit for me. The I think they brought in 14 new players the year before yes. and then another seven the next year. Mm. And to, for a bloke that wants to just get in and play and have an impact, that's probably a, a good fit. Who, who was the first point of contact at, at Fremantle? <laughs> uh, was it the PAV? Was it uh... – Yeah, get, that's where it gets even more surreal, I suppose, <laughs> when you have Mark Harvey ring you. Yeah. Ring you and uh, say, it's Mark Harvey. And this is half, triple half. Mark Harvey, congratulations. Yeah, looking forward to getting over here. Hard work starts now. Like it's, you're like, okay, yeah, it's pretty pretty true. And then a message off Matthew Pavlich, and which always like that's a mark of like the the good people in the game. Yeah, like Pav, um, you know, Dave Mundy, Luke McFarl, all those guys. You get a text message off him, you you're, if you don't feel any right to kind of get a you get sure. a rookie pick. You're, but they Pav was probably one of the first ones to message yeah. and say. Welcome to the club, Matthew Pavlich, blah, blah, blah. Pretty special and empowering, obviously. But you knew you had, you know, you discussed that already. There was something in you. You knew you could make it. So you get yeah. there and that pre-season's coming and you're at, as you said, probably the right fit because yeah. it was a club with a rebuilding list. So did you think straight away, right, oh, I can play footy this year, I can play in round one, or did you get over there and think I'm going to see how I go? What, what, what uh, did you take? What mindset did you take? I suppose the initial getting drafted was the first milestone. It was like, okay, now I'm in. Mm. And then it kind of takes probably a day or two to be like, well, pretty much only begins because you go over there, as I said, you're the 46th bloke on the list. Uh, no one knows what you have to offer and I have my limitations and I'm going to have to – but I just have, I, I've always had supreme confidence in myself to be able to compete. and I, I, I suppose I just took confidence from going from local footy and then going to the VFL and I made that transition quite well. So to surround myself in a full-time football environment um, over that summer, I just loved every minute of it, immersed myself in it, did everything I could. Um, and, yeah, that summer went so quick that pretty much you click your fingers and it's, it's round one and you, you get told. I remember I got a lot of confidence through that uh, the pre-season competition that year. I had a pretty good run at it. Halves was great for me, giving me some opportunity through the midfield um, just to play naturally. So very lucky in that aspect. Probably didn't have to – a lot of players come in nowadays and have to play forward or figure out how to play a wing or uh, or tag or I just kind of got do mm. what you do. Um, and, you know, the game's developed a lot since then and, um, you know, I still had a lot of limitations and, and still do. But, yeah, it all happened pretty quickly and – um, yeah, I was on cloud nine probably for, for a good while there. Mm. Well, round one we'll deal with in a sec. But I, I want to mention to you the build-up to round one. Now, you wouldn't know this, but you did an interview with what would have been the club website. Yeah. Um, Luke Morfess, the media manager, or someone at the club would have interviewed you on the Thursday night when you'd been picked. And uh, I, play, I do a session with the rookies of the West Coast Eagles every year. And the first interview I play them is... Uh, and I say to them, I want to show you a Michael Barlow interview from before he'd even played one single <laughs> game. I said, a lot of people come into football and they think there's a certain way you should act yeah. and you should play everything Oh, I'll have to get a piece of this one. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you, should uh, you know, take it nice and easy. Don't get ahead of yourself. 
And I play them this young bloke from uh, Victoria who'd just been picked for his first game who talks about how excited he was to finally get his opportunity and that you were playing that weekend your first AFL yeah. game. I've got a few messages. Actually, I've turn my phone off. Yeah, it's been pretty flat out, actually. Just everyone congratulating and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty excited when I got told by halves in front of the whole group. So it was a, as much a surprise to me as it was the whole whole group that I was in the 25 and up for selection. So over the moon, obviously, and just in a bit of shock to kind of re realise that I'm, I'm that close to kind of realising my dream and playing an AFL game. It's just um, phenomenal. It's, it's been a long, long time coming and to uh, finally get the night at 22 and kind of a lot of lost time to make up for and um, very exciting on that front. What is it, about 48 hours from the game? So, um, yeah, it's just a gradual process building into what's uh, going to be probably the best day of my life today. You talk with unbridled enthusiasm, great joy. Uh, it was infectious listening yeah. to you. And I say, well, how do you reckon this bloke went in his first game? And then I read the stats out to him. You know, a lot of these young kids don't even know the story. But yeah. 33 possessions, two goals, round one 2010. It's the record of most possessions gained by a player on since champion data recorded it. And I say to them, this guy just wanted to play football. He knew before his first game of football that he was going to get out there and just enjoy it and lap it up and go wherever it could go. You had no boundaries on yourself. I could hear that on the Thursday yeah. night. Is that how you approached it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, oh, it's, I probably played with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder as well for a long time. I always maintain that if I had got that chance at the rookie list at St Kilda after six weeks of you know, getting told yesterday that you're a chance and then getting rookie, I'm, you know, I might have made it, I might not have. But once I got in there the second time, yeah, I was, I'd had too many kind of knockbacks and too many, um, yeah, too many slaps in the faces to say like, like, you know, I had a few people I was supposed to prove wrong. Not that I ever kind of went, you know, intentionally out there just to prove people well I just I just knew I could play um and as you talk about probably the infectious the way I spoke it's because I was I just was love, loving what I was doing mm. um and how good like I was I was gonna play in front of 30,000 people I would have never probably played the accumulative number of people that watched me across my whole career wouldn't have been 30,000 mm. um you know I was so grateful for Fremantle for giving me opportunity and playing with Matthew Pavlich and how you can't not get excited and yeah, to have a little subplot in, like, that, I suppose, that season and have it revolve around yourself, which I never really took too much notice of. Like, but looking back, um, yeah, that were some of the best times of my life. But 33 disposals yeah. on the field. I mean, not, not 13 <laughs> or 23. Yeah. Some blokes go through their career and don't get 33. Yeah, oh, I just know. It's been one of my strengths. I just know how to. And I think back then especially, I was very, very, very fortunate. I suppose Harv's just said, you know, go out and play. He did the same with Morabito. Um, Alex Silvani came at the same time. Just go out and play. So nowadays I think some kids come in, new players to the club, and there's a lot There's a lot of info on, okay, how do you what's – this, what's this clip telling you? What's this? So there's a lot of information, whereas back then it was, okay, we want to play this way. That's the basic parameters of it. You're only new in the system. We'll pick you up as we go. But, you know, you're better to us if you're just playing. Shaking the tackle, Barlow. Now, Jerry, I am telling you, this man is unbelievable. I'm with you, BT. It's one of the great debuts from a rookie. Chipping ball to Barlow. 
First time he hasn't got it, but he's got it again. He sets up another goal opportunity. Crowley on the run gets it. Don't tell me Barlow again. Oh, no. Crowley the finisher. Barlow the starter. Here's Barlow. Going to set up another goal to Headland. Barlow. No. Yes. No. Yes. Goal. Barlow's made it happen again. Barlow as steady as a rock. Yeah, so it was just a great, great time of my life, and um, that, that that day I'll never, yeah, every if I said now I smile about it when I talk about it. And I remember I got interviewed after the game, and I said I can die a happy man now, like I've I've done it, I've played, and I wasn't even sure how many I'd had. I remember right towards the end of the game, I was running around, it was junk time, and I was getting a few like sideways kicks, so I weren't all hard work, but I looked over the screen and the camera was on me, and I was mm. way away from the play. I'm like, what's going on here? Like it's a bit, it's a bit strange. I knew I'd played okay, but. I remember when I got interviewed after the game, I said, you've had 33 and kicked two. And I'm like, gee whiz. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you had to kind of wake me up there for a minute. <laughs> and it kept going though, Michael. I mean, it wasn't flash in the pan. That first season, round six, you won the Ross Clendenning medal as the best player in the derby in your first derby. I mean, kids from Western Australia dream of getting a crack at a derby. There you are after just dreaming of getting a crack and your first game in a derby, sixth game in the AFL, um, you win the Ross Clendenning medal. I rocked up in the car park to that game. It was an away derby um, and I pulled up and I parked next to Mark, Matthew Prittis for some reason and I had this beaten up 94 Ford Falcon <laughs> that was rattling and I jumped out and like probably had to lock it with the door and he got out of his probably sponsored vehicle over there that they won premierships with the Toyota brand, I think. Yeah. Uh, and got out and nice flash. Very modest man, obviously, Matthew mm. Prittis. Obviously, and, and a got, lovely bloke. Lovely man. Yeah. One of the, yeah, I remember he won the Brownlow that year and invited us all mm. in. But fantastic bloke. But kind of got out and I was a bit, <laughs> a bit like, yeah, okay, go, go play. And uh, it's a daunting experience. Your way. It was an away derby. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I thought I played okay that day. Um, I, yeah, I don't think – I've won a few of those Ross Glendening medals, but I don't – on the, each of those occasions, I never feel like I was the best on the ground. Really? I feel quite fortunate to have, you know, been acknowledged as as the best on the ground in three of them. But um, yeah, I, I didn't feel. I felt like I had an okay game that day, but it was an amazing experience. That was kind of. I played five AFL games, and then this Derby week. It's like, how good's this? Like you're involved in this, you know, football warfare for a week in, in Western Australia, and it's, you know, you're a big part of it, and. Yeah, to, to win, that was uh, yeah, pretty special. Yeah, well, you won another two, as we know, 2013. But only a few games after the round six derby, when I say a few, uh, another eight. Port Adelaide, first season at home. What do you remember about uh, an yeah. incident with uh, another of your teammates coming flying the other way? Yeah, I, I haven't thought about it too much for a long time, but I remember, like, it's, it's funny because... How the game can bring you level you out very very quickly. Um, it was like the last five minutes of the game and things were going well. And I, I actually remember being out on the ground and think my brothers were over there. They were watching me, and my brother's um, now wife was there watching her first game um, of me live. And I remember like I was on the wing. It was late in the game, and I was like, "How good is this? Like playing AFL football? We're we're going really well. I think we're in the top four at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm playing well. Family's here. Going to go out for dinner tonight. Things are just." Nothing can go – that, I had those thoughts when I was on the wing yeah. and Pav got the ball, marked the ball. Oh, Matt Dylan Robert marked the ball and I was like, oh, I'll run and get this because everything's just going my way at the moment. And, then ran, and, yeah, I had those thoughts. Like I remember vividly having those thoughts about how good life was going. 
and ran back and... Uh... He can run on here. Oh! oh. He's actually taking, taking him out there. <laughs> it's going to be Barlow. He's a bit... Oh. oh, that's not good. That's not good. Not good oh, at all. No, that's not good. That is a bad injury. You saw when he tried to stand up. Oh, no. He has got a broken leg, I reckon, here, boys. Here's Palmer sliding in. Oh, yes, oh, no. that's terrible. Oh, I don't like seeing these, but he's broken his leg, unfortunately. It's, it's just flattened what has been a very good day. Win number 10 for the club, consolidating their position in the top four, as we've mentioned a couple of times. Their best player of the season, well, arguably their best with the big fella and Pav. Yeah, pretty much knew what had happened, but probably was in a bit of denial. Obviously, I stood up on it. And, um, yeah, but not even like everyone would think you're kind of just horrified and just distraught. And I just remember just being like, oh, pretty calm about it. And being like, oh, oh well, what do you do? Like, it's. I suppose yeah. because of what it taken to get there, yeah. I mean, you didn't want it to end. But had it ended, yeah. had you never been able to play again, you had 13 games that you might have thought you were never getting. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly right. People always ask, you must just feel like you're, you've walked walked under a ladder or you're just the most unlucky person because you've, you've just got your chance and you're going so well and now this happens. But I was always the opinion, if it had have happened 12 months earlier, as horrific injury like that, your club's black. That's a it would have been brutal in. industry. Bang, you're off the list. You're not good mm. enough to kind of take a chance on. So I was able to sit there and I was very optimistic early days about my rehab, all the stories I'd heard from kind of other guys that had done it, that I'd get back really quickly. Mm. Um, I didn't in the end. I took took quite some time and I wasn't quite right, ready for some time to actually get back. So uh, there were moments along that period where I was, yeah, very frustrated and, um, yeah, probably angry. at. I, I did get angry and who would have known? Like, I, I sometimes thought maybe it's never going to get better because it, it was significantly sore for, mm. for a very, very long time. Um, was it Reese Palmer? It was Reese, yeah. yeah. Good mates with Reese. So. Yeah, and, and he was thing. And he was beside himself. He gets – he was the first person to kind of come in and see me, I reckon, in the hospital. And he got such such a bad rap for it in terms of – yeah, it's, it's, I suppose technology's even advanced more since then, social media and all that stuff. But Reese uh, – yeah, he was beside himself for quite some time. He gets stressed and he had a big cold sore on his lip for a couple of weeks. <laughs> he was just beside him. And I, like, I'll never, never, ever hold a grudge at any level for him because like, we, yeah, we just have such a great relationship. So, I, I can't remember an outpouring of emotion towards one player in my time covering footy in Perth and I've been there pretty much since uh, the Eagles premierships. Um, I think, one, it was the way you started uh, and your journey and people knew your journey in Perth. But I think the fact too that you tried to jump up at that moment and, and yeah. that just seemed to endear you to people. That Do you remember that? I and mean, you spoke about it, but do you remember that specific moment? Obviously you would have felt pain, but your first instinct was get up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't feel pain really. I think it just it was such a big collision that I obviously knew something's wrong because I, I still remember the still shot of the, the photo and my face is like distraught. Agony, doesn't look like, good, does no. it? No. So... But I remember I actually like was sitting on the ground and actually like touched my knee both sides and just wobbled a bit. And I reckon I saw it wobble, but I was probably just in denial and yeah. didn't feel any pain. So up I get, and I'll just have my kick here. And it's probably it's like when we lost the grand final a few years ago. Later, I'd known what would known what had happened, but when the siren went in the grand final, I kept playing, kept running around for like five seconds just because this isn't this isn't meant to be how it finishes, you know. Like so that was probably my rationale. This isn't meant to be happening. 
like it's, that just can't happen because like, everything's going too well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the rationale behind it. Well, let's fast forward to to the grand final then, because a lot of water under the bridge. Ross Lyon comes to the club. Did Ross try and change you, by the way? Did he? Mark had said, go and play the way you played, and that had worked. Yeah. Did Ross try and change you dramatically? Um, not not so much. Um, as my current coach just caught, tries to ring me, Dean Solomon's just calling through. Um, Another Frio boy? Yeah, good for He was there the first year. He, but uh, So pretty much when I came back from my broken leg, Harbs was, again, great for me because he, he said, look, you, you're carrying some soreness, so let's play you outside a bit, that high half-forward role. Um bit more outside running, all that kind of stuff, uh, to take you away from kind of the need to explode from stoppages and all that, which is probably a limitation on me to an extent. But um, so then when ha- Ross did get there, you know, he saw, you know, my ability to, to play that that role. So I went more probably from an inside midfielder to that. It was kind of a, it's a niche position, that high half forward role, mm. which does a bit of inside stuff. Um, yeah, but I had to learn, I learned a lot. A huge amount under Ross as a coach, uh, you know, personally, where I had to had to get a lot better, um, you know, going defensively, running defensively, uh, which I, I think now is one of my real absolute strengths is the ability to cover the ground up and down and, and support defence and that kind of stuff. So um, they're the kind of areas I think Ross really took took huge leaps in my game out of. Yeah, and and. Did he, what, what was it that he brought? To, was it a hard edge? Was it a tactical mouse? Was it a, a whole – what was it that he brought to Frio that made you so good so quick? Yeah, I think just the, that obviously clearly the defensive side of it, the the, the, the whole team defence. I remember a few games there when we played probably 2010 and 11. 2010 we were outstanding, um, you know, scoring team. and But some some days we'd just be right off and get 150 kicked against us and 2011 was the same. So came over and – we struggled to score for a while, but we were still keeping teams down and we're starting to get this idea of this team defence. And, and um, I remember Ross told me, he goes, Nick Del Santo is the biggest fan of team defence in the world because he doesn't have to play on anyone. So he kind of referred to me because I think he saw that as some sort of the way I like to play a bit. So we all, you know, jumped on that. Probably took us six months to wrap our heads around it and get get it moment, the momentum going in the right direction. But yeah, that was the basis of our game. Teams played free, knowing. It's going to be hard to score today. It's, um, if we can kick 12 goals, we're a chance to win. Um, and, yeah, we, I just went into some of those games for Frio with supreme confidence, mm. just the way we defended and the blokes you've played with for so long since that Mark Harvey era. that we'd, we'd played together for three or four years. So that's a huge element, I think, nowadays of success. Guys, Clubs that have been put together and, and just experienced that uprising in form together and that continuity playing together. Uh, so yeah, that, by that grand final year, that was probably our you know, third, fourth year together, or fifth year maybe together. But second year under Ross's system, and um, you know we were ripe to to get going, and, and we did, but just ultimately fell short. So what about grand final day? Tell us, tell us what grand final day meant to you. I mean, and it probably meant more to you than it did to some. Some kids were drafted and yeah. were destined to play in grand finals. It wasn't that same journey yeah. for you. Well, I think the beauty of our group then was. I think we would have had eight blokes probably come off rookie list to play in that grand final. DeBoer, uh, I might fall a bit short here, but uh, Sanderlands mm. played. Uh, Ballantyne was a mature age pick. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're a, a Tenom and Zungu was laid mm. in there. Um, so, keep rolling off the names. That we were a group that, you know, we weren't the, littered with top ten draft picks or anything. We just um, 
had, a, I think, a really good mentally resilient and uncompromising team. So the grand final week, I mean, the whole final series was just phenomenal. The Geelong game went down there. No one gave us a hope apart from the group. Like The belief you draw from something like that was absolutely phenomenal. And then to get a home final prelim the next week, no one was going to beat us that day. Like you just that, – that stadium was just – it's hairs on the back of my neck stand up now just talking about it, just thinking about that night, the way we went into the game and it was just – there's no way we could lose. Like it was just – That first I half's remember, the best half of yeah. football Fremantle have ever played. Yeah, Hayden Valentine, walk, I remember making eyes with him in the, down the race and he, he nearly had a smile on his face because it was like this is – we're going to play in the grand final next week. And halfway through the first quarter it was just – everyone was – for, for modern analogy, everyone was just lit. So we were just on fire, and and that was the they were the premiers, weren't they? they Sydney were, yeah, yeah, but they were right for the picking as well. I think they was, had a few sore boys. Still. They'd come off a tough week the week before, um, and then yeah, the grand final, and we just expected to keep rolling. And the grand final week was huge. The ten thousand at training on the Tuesday, the the, re, the reception at the airport on the way there, like and you, you couldn't help but think on the way to the airport, like or when we're flying out, think imagine what's going to be like when we get back. When Did you got, think you were going to win? Oh, I was supremely confident. I remember walking out of my hotel room that day of the game just looking in the mirror and being like I'm going to be a premiership player today um, and I, I, I don't I don't say that lightly I don't say that um, you know thinking that we got overconfident or anything like I, th- I think you need that confidence and that like, as I said tw- a week earlier I had exactly the same thoughts making eye contact with all my teammates like this is it's happening today we it's not stopping tonight like um, that's probably half the reason I can uh Validate the reason I kept playing a little bit. I was probably only three or four seconds when the siren went. I kept running after the ball, just like, nah, it's not, it's not happening because it's not meant to. Yeah. Mm. And and obviously you had fallen short, but your footy continued. You played more good footy, and then it seemed to. I don't know if you fell out of favour with Ross or whether your your stage of your football didn't fit Ross's new profile. But yeah. how do you describe how it sort of finished at Fremantle for you? Um. Yeah, so 2016 was a tough year. I, I, probably halfway through 2015 or even 2014, we changed the, the way we played a little bit. My role, that role I was talking about, probably became a little bit more inclined to be a forward role. So I think my numbers went down a lot over over those, not a lot, but just enough to probably raise some eyebrows around the competition. And I, you know, I knew, the team knew I was playing a bit of a different role, but... Um, I suppose 2016 came and we'd been up for so long that you know, we had the dramatic drop in form. Um, and I, I didn't start the year at all well. I mean, I had a good NAB Cup series, or JL team, whatever. And then, and then my first three or four weeks were, were really poor. Like I had a really poor first month individually and probably like 10 – I spoke about this yesterday. 10 numbers on Matt DeBoer get dropped. So that's kind of the, the writings on the wall. Like we're not going to play finals here. Something older blokes are going. But Ross stuck with me. Like he, he stuck with me for – for, I reckon it was around eight I got dropped um, and I was probably the mo- I was probably most aggrieved by the fact that I thought I was just turning it around like I'd had two weeks earlier I'd played legitimate midfield for two weeks in a row and had some good games not the possessions isn't everything but I got a lot of the ball um, a couple of weeks in a row and thought I played pretty well and, and tackled hard and was a really solid contributor in some losses. So I thought personally I was starting to turn the corner and then I had one poor week against GWS and then I was out. And then I, yeah, from that moment I knew my position there was was going to be limited. I went back to the waffle. 
just yeah play, had a few good games and got back in and and then went to a tagging role and did that really well and I feel like there wasn't much I could do. Um, Were you bitter about that? Um, you probably do get a little bit bitter. Yeah, def- oh, definitely in when I was ultimately delisted. Um, I had some really honest conversations with uh, – it was Chris Bond and Ross Lyon at the time who were in there giving you the news. I knew for quite some time what, how it was going to go down, but I felt like I had a really good discussion with them in terms of – I think a lot of players get delisted um, – and it's a one-way conversation. It's, you know, you, thanks for your time. It's obviously the hardest thing they have to do um, at any level. Like tell a player they're no longer required. So it's not easy on them. But I, I remember I had some – I felt like I had some valid points in terms of the fact that, you know, I'm, I was 28 years old. Like I, I felt like I was getting painted out to be a 33-year-old that had one leg. Um, so I, I, that was probably the main reason of my angst. I was really at, keen to get to another club – for the reasons I probably felt like if I maybe had have got another year there, you know, sitting there here now, probably looking at a couple of my mates that are there at the moment that, that are finding it a bit tough, I would have been in that situation. So fortunately for me, I've got another year. But in terms of that being, um, what was the word you used? Aggrieved? Or, Aggrieved. Yeah, yeah, so I probably was and, and begrudged the decision or because – I think you probably said this year, I felt like I had a really good year this year and I've got a lot of good – and I played probably two weeks, I think, before I injured myself. I had played the best game I reckon I've ever played um, in a tagging role. Um, so it's just see how fickle the industry can be. I feel like the decision was made on me. Um, was it ironic to you that there was, there was Ross closing the door on you again? Yeah. Um, no, nah, not so much. Like, I'll always have a really good relationship with Ross. So we've been through a lot together, um, professionally, personally, all that kind of stuff. He's he's a fantastic man, and that's why I could have the conversation I had with him when I was delisted. That I challenged the decision and said, um, you know, I, I don't see this as in any way correct because of probably formal um, direction of your club. Like I, I was probably um, think they were short selling themselves in thinking maybe. If I'm not around for the next premiership, they're saying I can't play for another three or four years, which I feel like I could. Mm. Um, which, you know, the, the players there wouldn't want to know that maybe the management's thinking that way, thinking, you know, that, that we're not going to be successful for a few years, so let's clear the clear the dev wood. But as I said, like, oh, that's the beauty of my relationship with, like, even Chris Bond, great relationship with him. You know, it gets tested in times like that when you're sitting there and you have different opinions on things. It's, it's worked out best for me. Um, and, you know, Fremantle, they're, they're going in the direction they're going and probably uh, going, yeah, it's, it's been the be- obviously the best for them because they made the decision. Sunday, join us for Game Day. Morning, everybody, and welcome to our 10th season of Game Day. Hosted by Hamish McLaughlin every Sunday at 10am on the channels of 7. She caught up exclusively with Rui this morning. They're pretty confident as well that structurally it's OK. Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca. <laughs> <laughs> it's where all of footy's big names come to play. Tell me about playing with Gary Ablett, one of the greatest players the game has ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's probably the one bloke uh, since I've kind of been in the system where you, you rock up. I'd never really met him and got to the guy. I was like, geez, that's Gary Ablett. Um, it's pretty special. Like he's a, he's a star. But he's a very humble person, probably a bit uncomfortable in his status in the game, I'd imagine, because like, he's such a superstar and there's such um, 
and all around him and his and his family, I suppose as well. So it's been, it's been a, yeah privilege to to spend a little bit of the latter parts of his career and probably mine t- together and to see the way he goes about. It. I think that, that and there's been a lot of commentary about you know his his investment in the club, but the way he invests in his career and and the Gold Coast Suns, it's um, you know I invite anyone who kind of questions that to come up and come up to the Gold Coast and have a look and watch him train and watch him do his extra stuff and watch him engage with the younger players. So it's been, um, yeah, terrific. It's something that you probably look back when I finished playing and, you know, look at the Matthew Pavliches, Luke McFarlane's, Aaron Sandilands's, Matt Fife to a certain degree because um, he's probably only just still in his prime. And then Gary Ablett, you're like, he's played with some fair players. So it's pretty special. Do you think that uh, he's misunderstood the, the stuff about his involvement at Gold Coast, his investment, if you like, yeah. is misunderstood? He's misunderstood, but do you think that side of things is misunderstood yeah. too? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I mean, um, what's his, he sold a house or something the other day. Mm. A lot of footballers sell houses. And I've told everyone this week the market on the Gold Coast is very good. So <laughs> why wouldn't you sell the house? And he likes his coin, Gary. So uh, I think there's... There's parts of it. I think that that he's that he's he's not perfect by any. None of us are perfect in the AFL environment in terms of the way we prepare or train or sometimes handle ourselves. Um, and he's exactly the same. Like he's got his flaws, um, but I think there's such a microscope on on the way he goes about it that any of those little inclinations of um, negativity can be blown up a fair bit. And they affect him. Uh, I think he handles himself really well. I mean, um, I think round two he had a really poor game, but the week before he, he got second in coaches' votes or something in that for the round one. And then the next week it's like, oh, Gary doesn't care. Gary's finished. Gary's no good. And then the next week he came out at thirty six while getting tagged and kicked a couple of goals. Like it's, I, I, I feel for him in, in in the senses he's he's been a big part of the Gold Coast, um, and it's six years there. And I think a lot of what what Garrett Gary does is the judgment of all the, the whole Gold Coast. So oh, Gold Coast aren't going well, so let's um, look into what Gary Ablett's doing. So that's probably, you know, I really feel for him in that area. I think he handled, he's been around the traps long enough to to be able to handle that and, and uh, yeah, go about it in a professional manner. Albeit coming off a bad year at Fremantle, you came under that Ross, came out of that Ross Lyons system, the ultra-professional Ross Lyons system in a footy state. Yeah. When you got to the Gold Coast, did it hit you in the face that, this is entirely different. I'm at a different sort of place here. Definitely, yeah. Um, I saw it in the demeanour of the players on the Gold Coast and in a really good way. I saw like Dave Swallow and Matt Rosa who'd been there for a year, Tom Lynch. Um, not to say – not definitely not to say that any number of Fremantle players or myself you know, had a sense of arrogance or egos about us, but the, the edginess or the the kind of – probably high-end nature of being in a footy town for so long. Mm. I've seen it a little bit this year, probably catching up with my mates when I go see them from Perth. Like, it can become all-consuming, whereas you go out for coffee with Dave Swallow, who's a, who's a star in his own right and he's had his issues with knees and and he's just very relaxed and um, hasn't you – know, it obviously takes a really huge part of his uh, rehab and all that personally and, and makes, invests in it and all that, but – I suppose it just doesn't consume you as much as when you're in a footy town, which can work either way a little bit, I think, in terms of when the pressure's on in footy towns and you're, the world's crashing down, you come out and perform really well, 
sometimes with the, the, the aid of that um, external noise. Sure. Whereas it probably on the Gold Coast, we've had it a few years and really responded really well. Um, but sometimes you probably can, you know, you're out of the zoo a bit. Mm. So you're not under the scrutiny and you can sift through. So that's something as a group we've got to really um, address and figure out the best strategies to, to make sure. Because GWS do it really well, stay on edge all the time. Did you try and bring a harder edge? Did you, yeah. you know, once you'd settled in and you knew blokes, did you say, hey, come on, boys, yeah. we need to be up a bit more here or? Yeah, I took a really active role, I feel, in not not trying to over overstep my role. Or but you were straight but into the yeah, leadership group. Too, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I I probably came over and I just, I just did things that I'd normally done for my whole career and pre-career. Like I, I trained really hard. I, um, yeah, felt like I gave feedback at the right times. So I think that's an area where we've got to get a bit better at over there. We've got to fast track um, some of our real talent in leadership spaces. Jack Martin's one who I think is really emerging as a guy that can can be a real, really significant leader at the club, but you know, still some real work to do. So I've been very fortunate to absorb info and feedback off guys like Pav and McFarlane, Matt DeBoer was super at it. Lee Spur, Hayden Butler, they're all really good. So to be able to kind of take that over and filter it in in, in some little ways, um, I think it's pretty important for us as a group over there because we are a quite an introverted group at the Suns, um, a very close-knit group, but probably professionally we can get a bit better at – we can definitely get a bit better at um, being demanding on each other and uh, taking the probably the mental side of the game to to another level. Will Gary be there next year? I've said this all – he's contracted next year, so can't see why he wouldn't be. And you'd be sorry to see him go, obviously. I mean, he's such a huge part of that team. Um the Bermuda Triangle that people talk about, I mean, does it feel like it's not a footy place or does it feel like it's hard to do your best? Um, no, not at all. It feels like, feels like somewhere we we should really be excelling. There's been some contributing factors that haven't been perfect for us, a bit of personnel and, um, and that kind of stuff, availability. But I'm a huge believer that I know in 2014, some of the boys talked really fondly of that year when they, were, they won four or five in a row and... Mm. They were getting 20,000 a game. So it's just success breeds that kind of um, atmosphere. And I, I really feel like we can get, you know, 20 to 25,000 a week at Metricon when we – and it'll happen. We'll get up and going and we'll we'll start winning games. And um, you know, Jack Martin will give people reasons to come watch his, this great game because he's going to be – he's so good at it. And he's just someone that just needs to to put it all together consistently. Um, Adam Saad, like we've got – we've on that list, we've got blokes that – Tom Lynch, like if you even gloss over him, he's he's had a tough year with probably just being you know, not not great delivery and the team not being great defensively. So you know, he's the best big forward in the game when he's going and when we're helping him. So we've got so many reasons on that list for people to come and watch and and to be successful. We we acknowledge we've got to get better and, and play well and we'll do that. And people will come and the Gold Coast it'll quickly. Yeah, football will be spoken about really fondly there. Do you get your back up when people say, and you probably hear it, yeah. from, oh, yeah, they're almost irrelevant up there. Um, mm. You know, another bad year and that's it, they're gone. Yeah. No, you don't get your back up. You, you've got to acknowledge it. that the, the noise is out there for a reason, like that that kind of noise that the results speak for themselves. We haven't haven't been good enough. Um, and I think we, we've got to wear it. As a club, we've got to wear it a lot more. We've got to wear it. Um, and I think I'm really confident with a guy like Dean Solomon around. You know, when he came in and took her, he said, you know, it, it frustrates me. It makes me you know, not 
expletive, expletive, mm. <laughs> pissed off if people are talking about us in this light um, because we know the characters we've got here. We know the, the fundamentals we've got here stack up and we've got, we've got really, really good people over there. Um, and I get emotional and pretty stirred up. Probably, I'd probably do get my back up because I'm getting pretty emotional about it, talking about it now because we've got good people there that, from Lynch and May to Solomon to Mark Evans who's come in and, and seen, seen what we've got to work with and, you know, he, he said, he goes, it's not, oh, let's just turn everyone, turn it all on its head and start again. It's We've got so much positivity in that place to be able to, to create something special. Couple of quickies, Michael. You're on your way to the airport to go home to the Gold Coast. Who was your favourite footy player to watch growing up? Uh, I like, love watching Daniel Cross and Scott West because they were probably I could probably relate to them. Slow and good handballers, and that's about it. And who's the best player you've played with and yeah. played with some crackers? Yeah, um, uh, Luke McFarlane. I, I always say is the best player I've played with because of the role he played. He one night he got six goals kicked on him against Michael Hurley for Essendon in 2012. And um, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what is going on, Woosh? Like, how are you – this never happens. And he – Pav Pav says at training he'd rather get to a game because at training playing Luke and mm. he, like, it was harder at training than it was at a game to get a kick. So Yeah, an awesome player. Who's the best player you played against? Uh, oh, fair, fair few good ones. Um, probably Gary Abbott when we were playing against him mm. yeah, for, for Geelong back in the early days. Best advice you've been given? Uh, my parents are huge in kind of just always being true to yourself and worrying about, um, you know, don't kind of worry about what other people think. And it's, yeah, it's just it's pretty simple like that. Just make yourself proud and everything else follow. Biggest lie in the media you've heard about yourself? Uh, oh, I'm slow. I came top five at the state screening. With a 2.89 20-metre sprint in 2009. Look up the records if you need. That's Simon. true. That's true, yeah. Is it true you used to race Jack Hanneth on <laughs> Mad Monday? Is this Matt DeVos? It is Matt DeVos. I did one year because Jack Hanneth's slow as a wet week. Big, Who won? Uh, I'd, I'd just played the night before, run 15Ks, and I reckon I would have had about twice as many stubbies as Jack, so he was prime. So... He got me out of the blocks and I gave up halfway down the straight because he was streeting me. That made you officially the slowest player on the <laughs> list at Fremantle at I that time. I didn't get to race anyone else. But <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you cried? Oh, I cried after I did my broken leg just recently. Yeah, you... when, I, when I got down the race, I cried. Um, and is yeah. that because you thought this could be it? Yeah, yeah, yep. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty basic. Yeah, I just thought well, I was on the ground. I was pretty composed. Then I got down the race. I'm like, geez, it was, that's... Tried, but then about five minutes later, I was happy as Larry. What will you be doing <laughs> in twenty years, Mike? Uh, I'd like to be doing your role, Basil. It's something something that I you're good see enough to do it. Um, yeah, but I'll probably see myself either on the Gold Coast or in Perth in twenty years. Yeah, we'd love to have you back in Perth. Um, you're on the Talking Footy podcast now, but your own podcast is Out of Bounds. Tell us about that very briefly. Yeah, well, this this episode will go up on on the Out of Bounds. Yeah. I've done about 20, 20 episodes over the last. Uh, I'd be nearly a year and a half. Um, just really enjoyed it. Something, obviously, as I said to you, it's something I want to get into and, and upskill myself in. And um, I've been very fortunate to get some super guests on that just have been really accommodating with their time. And it gives me a bit of an avenue, a bit of a release from from football and, and being consumed by football too much. So the Out of Bounds podcast on iTunes, uh, get amongst it. It's very good. How do you want to be remembered as a player? Yeah, I, I think just the 
Um, probably a humble, hard worker. Um, a really good team man. Um, yeah, and just a real try. Like, uh, sounds a bit wanky, but just try, like someone that tried very, very hard, which I, I like to think I do. I reckon just about the highest accolade anyone can get is to be universally loved, and you are universally loved. Uh, people at every club love you, Michael. They love your journey, they love your spirit, they love your story, and uh, it's been terrific to chat. Congratulations on everything you've achieved. Thanks, Baz. Cheers, man. Really appreciate it. We're talking footy.